Morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I'm so happy to be able to say hi to so many of you. Uh, I know many of you who are here from the North Chatham campus, either because you're in the choir or supporting the choir. So welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, it's great to see you. And, if, and I know we have guests among us. So if you're a guest, whether this is your first time with us or your first time in a long time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I do hope that at the end of the service, you'll come to the back and say hi. I'll be standing around the exit side, and I especially hope that you get one of our welcome gifts. Uh, it's one of the ways that we both say we're glad you're here, and also it's one of the ways that we support uh, local businesses because the gifts in the welcome bag and the welcome gift are from local businesses, so make sure you get one of those. Um, <clears throat> there's a special kind of feeling or sensation that one experiences when one finds your kind of people. When you can be around a group or another person and say, this person gets me. These people get me. Like, it's so significant that you can even notice it in people's faces. It's like there's a change in their countenance, a change in their expression. Uh, there are two scenes in the movie, X-Men First Class, where this is clearly happening. Now, <clears throat> let me educate those of us who are unfamiliar. The world of X-Men is a world in which a genetic mutation has developed in a small portion of humanity. And that genetic mutation, it happens to grant special powers or abilities to a group of people, and they are called mutants. And in that world, the X-Men are a group of mutants that try to do good. Uh, and because this is drama, there are also groups of mutants that try to do not good. Uh, and the movie X-Men uh, First Class sorry, is an origin story, which means it occurs before uh, the X-Men have been formed, and it covers the time when they are formed. Now, remember, uh, in all the world, it's a small, a small percentage of the population who have this mutation, and there's lots of stigma attached to it. So many mutants try to keep things hidden. They take isolated jobs or live isolated uh, lives. And there's this one sequence where two of the mutants are going around trying to recruit people. They're trying to recruit for what will eventually become the X-Men. They have a way of identifying mutants, and they start to go search them out. And without fail, every time they encounter one, they're doing something that's, like I said, very isolated or very solitary. Uh, and, and when they first encounter them, all of these mutants pretend that there is nothing going on. They have no idea. It's like, what are you talking about? Mutation? Powers? Abilities? Don't have any idea what you're talking about. Until one of the two recruiters either says something or shows their power in such a way. And then you see a look, a, a relief come upon the person that they're recruiting. It's like, oh, you get what's happening to me. And then there's this other scene where they've gathered this new crop of recruits. It's just a handful of them, and they're all young, and they're in this room. They're meeting for the first time, and they have the natural conversation that you'd expect among a group of people who have powers or abilities. What, what, what can you do? And they start to show off what they can do, and there are all sorts of oohs and ahs, where in the past they would have experienced fear or uh, running away from people. They experience oohs and ahs and affirmations, and that's so cool. And you can see one by one, it's like tension is released from their bodies. They get this sense like, oh, I found my people. I'm going to be okay you can almost see joy in their face because there's joy in finding your kind of people. There's joy in finding key people or even a key person who understands what you're going through, 
with whom you share common ground or common or shared experience with. Joy is one of the, th- the themes that jumps out, jumps off the pages of scriptures that tell the Christmas story. It is something that is more than emotion. It is greater than emotion. It is more than happiness. It is deeper than nostalgia, and it lasts longer than mere sentimentality. Joy is a profound sense of satisfaction, a profound sense of gladness that doesn't go away even in the hardest times, even in the most difficult situations, even in the kind of situations where you would expect hopelessness and despair to creep in. It's this belief that all things and all manner of things will be well, that everything's going to be all right. And it traces its roots or its fulfillment to that child who was born in a manger who would save the world. And even though it's hard to do joy justice with words, we're giving it our best shot during our Unspeakable Joy series here at Chatham Community Church. And we're doing it by looking at the passages that tell the story of the one who came to bring hope, love, peace, joy, And today we're going to look at one of those stories that tell sort of these stories of the days in which Jesus was to be born. We'll look at a story that shows how finding key people can usher in joy. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? We're going to be in verses 36 through 45. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is in the New Testament. So in most of your Bibles, it'll be uh, in the latter half, probably the latter third of your Bible. It's one of the four accounts we have of Jesus's life. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the first chapter, and we're going to read uh, starting in verse 36. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it, because we're going to put it on the screen in just a second. Here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. Mary in this narrative, has just been visited by an angel. And that angel has told her that she is going to be pregnant, even though she's a virgin. And that her child is going to be the promised one, the one all, uh, all the nation of Israel has been waiting for, and even, even though they don't know it, the one all humanity, the whole world, has been waiting for, the Son of the Most High. She's young, likely still a teenager. She's betrothed. She's promised to someone, but not yet married. And being pregnant would not have been a safe situation for her. She could end up finding herself outcast, alone, her life in danger. She might even end up dead. And then the angel tells her that her cousin, that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant, and it is also because of a work of God. So Mary heads to see Elizabeth. She heads to see this one in whom God is also doing a work. But first, she responds to the angel. She says, 
I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, there's going to be lots of joy when Mary encounters Elizabeth. There's lots of joy that happens there. But before that joy comes, before that joy emerges, there's this statement. It's a statement of acceptance of what the angel has said God is going to do. It's a statement of surrender to the will of God, and it's a statement of trust. And it is this statement that lays the groundwork for the joy that is to come. See, friends, if we want to experience joy, if we want to experience that sense that all will be well and all manner of things will be well, that sense that things are going to be okay, first, we need to trust because trust always tills the soil where joy flourishes. Trust always tills the soil where joy flourishes. If we want the kind of joy that we're talking about, that lasts, that endures, that is greater than happiness, sentimentality, and nostalgia, that beats back the situations that would produce hopelessness and despair, we need to find that joy in someone who can deliver and is greater than those situations. We need to till that soil with trust in God. Trust tills the soil where joy flourishes. Leaning on, surrendering to, and accepting the will and word of the one who has all power, all authority, is what allows joy to burst forth. It's what lays the groundwork for joy to burst forth. Now, these words from Mary are not just a powerful statement. They can also be a powerful prayer. I am the Lord's servant, May your word to me be fulfilled. And I wonder if today might be a day for some of us to embrace that prayer, to make that prayer ours during this season. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now you can rephrase that so it sounds more Chatham County or it sounds more like wherever you're from. So it sounds more like you. But this idea of acceptance and surrender and trust I wonder if there are areas in our lives where we're missing joy and the reason we're missing joy is because it's time to till the soil with trust so that joy can flourish. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Maybe that's a prayer for you to embrace during this Christmas season. Maybe that's something for you to speak and speak and speak day after day like someone who is trying to plant a garden and cultivate something good. Maybe you till that soil until you see that joy burst forth. Perhaps that can be your prayer today. Mary hurries to Elizabeth, her cousin who is six months pregnant and many, 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 many years older. And we have this beautiful encounter that is also filled with rich meaning. See, what Mary finds in Elizabeth is someone with a particular type of experience, a particular type of common ground, a shared experience that is unique to the both of them, but who's also a little further ahead in the process. She's six months into the process. Both are participating in a work of God. They've both given their yes to God. And as they meet each other and they interact, there's this joy that overflows as they both recognize, oh, God is doing something similar in you. God is doing something similar in you. Even the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. The baby knows 
that there's something there, that there's something good that God is doing. There's this sense, I found someone who's going through what I went through, or I found someone who's gone through what I'm starting to go through now. It's okay. It's been okay for them. It's going to be okay for me too. An atmosphere of joy is cultivated as they have this encounter and more than likely in the months that they end up sp- uh, spending together. And it provides some insight for us in how finding those key people in our lives can help cultivate and maintain an atmosphere of joy. Maybe pe- that we need to find people who are a little further ahead of us who are going through this kind of experience that we're going through, who are sharing some of the things that we are experiencing, who are maybe a little further ahead. Maybe we need to allow ourselves to be found by people who are having the start of experiences that we're a little little bit further ahead on. But when we find them, we can cultivate atmospheres of joy with those key people. We're going to look at uh, the narrative of Mary and Elizabeth to draw some insight as to what that looks like. The first way that that, uh, an atmosphere of joy is maintained and cultivated with these kinds of key people that have a shared experience or are going through something that we're going through is that reality is clarified. You get to clarify reality with these kinds of key people. The story of how Elizabeth has become pregnant, even though she is past the age of childbearing, was a story of God's miraculous work. But it was also a story of God's miraculous work that would not have been odd. It would have been miraculous and unique, but it would not have been new to the people in their community. There was a precedent in scripture of women past the age of childbearing becoming pregnant. There are stories in the Old Testament. Not only that, but but there was evidence in Elizabeth and her husband's life that an angel had visited them. There was evidence of that. So it would not have been hard for most people to believe God has done something here. However, Mary's situation is different. It is the same in the sense that both have been visited by an angel and it is a work of God, but Mary's situation is unique. And there's a narrative that can quickly develop when a young, unmarried teenage girl becomes pregnant. And it could be a dangerous narrative, especially in that culture. It would not have been a joy-filled scenario. But when Mary finds Elizabeth, Elizabeth can say to her, an angel visited us too. I believe you. I know what that's like. Part of what finding Elizabeth does for Mary is it confirms to her, yes, that did happen. Yes, that did happen. No, it was not the burrito you ate last night that made you see an angel. That actually did happen. God is at work. God is in this too. Many, many years ago, I knew someone who was a follower of Jesus. This person was faithful in ministry, did amazing work, was incredibly creative, an artist, uh, and had a way of bringing God's message through art, through dance, through drama, in ways that I could never imagine, but connected people to God. And I could see God at work in their lives. A few years ago, an email went out to loved ones of this person, and it said, in summary, that they were walking away from faith. 
that they were walking away from God. Now, I was not surprised this person had struggled with faith. I was sad, but not surprised and had lots of questions that weren't always answered satisfactorily. I knew that they struggled. What surprised me about the email was a a paragraph where this person said that essentially they'd been faking it all along that they never actually believed God was real, and all the ways that, that we had understood that God had been in work and God was doing things was not real, was just them faking it and imagining it. Now, I knew this person. I'm, a pretty good, I'm pretty good at, at knowing when people are faking it or lying or being dishonest, and I knew that God had been at work in that person. I wonder what might have changed And as I've reflected over the years on this person's experience, what I realized is that this person spent a long period of time around a group of people who were naturally skeptical of God, who questioned God, who didn't believe in God, and didn't spend any time around people who had a shared experience with her. And I think what happened is that over time, it wasn't only that her doubts about God grew, but as her doubts about God grew, this narrative that God is not real that she kept hearing started to creep into, well, if God is not real, then the experiences I had must not have been real. They must not have been true. So instead of getting the message of, yes, that really did happen, because of the people she surrounded herself with, the message she started to develop was, that must not have happened. Having the right kind of people around us, the kind of people with whom we have shared experience, and please don't hear me say that we need to isolate ourselves from people who are far from God or who are questioning God. That's not what I'm saying. But we need the kinds of people who have the shared experience so that when God shows up in powerful, even miraculous ways, when God speaks to us or calls us or he invites us to challenging things, even great things, those people can step in and say, yes, that really did happen because we will need them because there will be moments where we will question it. There will be moments where we will doubt. There will be moments where we will be tempted to rewrite reality, and we need people to clarify it for us. That is part of what happens as Mary encounters Elizabeth. The the second thing that happens as Mary encounters Elizabeth is connected to clarifying reality, but it's a little bit distinct, and that is that God's work is affirmed in us when we find those key people or that key person that has that shared experience, that common ground with us. Having those key people in our lives affirms God's work in us. Now, the story of Mary and Elizabeth is short. It's brief. It's a brief encounter. And the clarifying reality that happens for Mary is also an affirmation of God's work. But it's not always like that for us. We can have a very clear sense of reality, a sense of who God is with no doubt, a sense of what God's called us to do with no doubt. But where we can start to have doubt is about whether we're the right people for it, whether God was right in inviting us. We can still doubt ourselves and be overcome and discouraged concerning whether or not we are the right ones for whatever it might be that God is calling us to. And that sense of discouragement, that sense that maybe God isn't at work, or that sense that maybe we're not the right ones for that kind of work can sap joy. But when we have the kinds of people like Elizabeth was for Mary, 
God's work can be affirmed and it can make all the difference. When I became a follower of Jesus, one of the things I brought with me to being a follower of Jesus was a huge sense of pride in myself and in anything I could do. I was an incredibly prideful person, and it was one of the first things that God made incredibly obvious that I needed to deal with. It made me incredibly annoying, so I'm very glad that God identified that, but it was really, really big. It was a huge problem, and I felt a deep sense of conviction that I needed God to address this. And a couple of years into following Jesus, I started to grow discouraged. I started to grow discouraged because I was still prideful. I would still get comments from people saying, man, that was prideful. It's really hard to talk to you because you're so proud. And I remember thinking, man, I just, I don't feel as proud as I used to be, but, but maybe I am. And I thought, man, it's been a couple of years of being very deliberate about this. Maybe there's just no hope. Maybe I'm just not cut out for the stuff God's called me to because someone that this prideful can't lead, can't do the things that I felt conviction that God was also calling me to do. And then there were key people around me, people who knew me, people who'd been walking with me and who shared experience with me. And at key moments, they came around me and they said, I want you to know that you've made a lot of progress on this, that God has changed you, that there's still a ways to go, but you're not where you were a few years ago. And that made all the difference for me. That kept me going because someone at the right moment stepped in and affirmed God's work in my life. The next one is a two-in-one. The right kind of people can offer correction and wisdom at the right times. Now, this one isn't in the passage, but it's true in other parts of Scripture, and it's true in the kinds of experience we're talking about. When we have people who have this shared experience, this common ground, this sense whether they're further ahead or a little further behind, one of the things that they can offer is that they, they can offer the kinds of nudges we need at the right time. Because all of us, when we're on our way in life, have moments where it just gets tired and we slow down. And we need someone to nudge us and say, kick it into high gear again. You've got more to go and keep going, man. They cheer us on. And then also there are times when the road just gets tough and we kind of want to do something else. We want to veer off course and we need people to nudge us in loving ways and say, get back on track. Get realigned. The way you're going is not going to lead to good. They nudge us forward when we're stuck or bogged down, and they nudge us back into alignment when we're off course. And all of us need that from time to time. The next one is the one that I find the most fun. When we find the kind of people like Mary found in Elizabeth, we get opportunities to bless and be blessed. The passage we read is really short, and blessing shows up three times. In that short passage, blessing shows up three times. The Holy Spirit shows up in Mary's encounter with Elizabeth. It's the first time that the Holy Spirit fills someone in the Gospel of Luke. And the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up is that Elizabeth speaks forth blessing over Mary. Elizabeth speaks a blessing. And it's a blessing that Mary needs to hear and that she needs to receive. And it's very specific to what she's going through because Elizabeth knows what it's like. And because Elizabeth knows what it's like, Elizabeth knows what Mary needs from God in order to get through us and she can bless her with that. That's the gift of being around those kind of people. The kind of people we have common ground or shared experience is that they know the blessings that we're going to need in the moment and in the future. 
and they can speak those and they can provide those at just the right time. And it's woven into this joy-filled encounter. There's a particular depth or degree of blessing that comes when you're with people or when you're with a person who gets you, who knows you, who knows what your experience. I hear this often with women who become pregnant for the first time, but I heard it recently in one particular scenario where a mother-in-law showed up. It was planned that she was going to show up just after the birth, but what she was going to do was not necessarily communicated. But she showed up, and before anyone knew what was happening, she was cooking meals. She was cooking meals. She was cooking meals and putting stuff in the fridge. And when the parents who were in a, you know, a haze, what are you doing? They were like, I know what's going to happen. You're going to go through this and you're going to forget to eat. And then when you remember to eat, you're not going to know what to cook. And you need to eat. You need to stay well fed. You're going to need your energy. So I'm here to make sure you do. She'd been through it. She knew what this couple was going to need even before they did. And she stepped in to provide that special kind of blessing at the right time. The last thing we're going to mention about cultivating with joy, a joy with others is that faith is stoked. Fuel gets added to the fire of faith. Remember, Mary already knows uh, what Jesus' purpose is going to be. She may not know the particulars of what it's going to look like, but she knows what the purpose is. The baby in Elizabeth's womb is John the Baptist. John the Baptist's mission in life is going to be to prepare the way for Jesus as the Messiah. It's going to be to point people to Jesus. And there's a way in which that starts here. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, jumps. It's almost leaps. It's almost as if the baby is affirming, there he is. There he is. The Messiah. In Elizabeth's blessing, she also calls Mary the mother of our Lord. She is affirming, she is stoking what God is doing, what God is going to be doing. These things affirm the faith Mary has already had to demonstrate. Mary has already had to exercise faith in the angel's announcement, and these things stoke that. They say, yes, that's the right kind of faith. Keep having it. Keep it going. And then there's her last statement. She says, blessed is the one who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. That's a two-parter. Has two dimensions to it. On the one hand, it blesses the now. Blessed is the one who has believed, who has already believed. You believed. Great. But because the fulfillment of the promises lies in the future, there's also an invitation. There's also an invitation It's also an encouragement. It's a call to Mary. And it sounds like a particularly classic song. Elizabeth's basically telling Mary, you've believed. Now don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. And we need that from the people around us too, don't we? We need both the celebration of you have faith, you've exercised faith. Great, fantastic. Yeah, you're doing the right thing. But don't stop believing. Because it's going to get hard at times. It's going to get challenging. It's going to bog up. That stokes faith. That keeps us going. That helps us press through so we don't stop believing. Do you have those kinds of people? 
Do you have them in, our, in your life? Because they help cultivate and maintain joy. Because another way of talking about joy is framing it as the belief that the Lord will fulfill his promises. And that those promises that he's going to fulfill are good. That's what gives us this sense that all will be well and all manner of things will be well. When I was about 11 or 12, I went to a church by my own volition for the first time in my life. I had been to Catholic church uh, with family many, many years before, but I really didn't like it, so I never went back. <clears throat> but I went to church, back to church for the first time on my own, and it was a great experience. Now, I have fond memories of this community of people. It was a small church. It would be the equivalent of a storefront church here in the United States, but in Puerto Rico, it just met in the garage of a house. Uh, and it was a great experience. I love the people. The people loved me. And about the third time I was there, the pastor of that, of that church met me. He identified who I was, and he did two things that I'm eternally grateful for. One is he handed me my first Bible, dedicated. In that dedication, there was an encouragement. He stoked my faith. The second thing is he pulled me aside, and he said, you know you have a pastoral calling, don't you? It's an odd thing to say to a 12-year-old. <laughs> Because I had no idea what that even meant. I had no idea what calling meant. I had no idea what pastors did. But I do remember believing him. There was something that he saw in me that he sensed, God is clearly at work in this young man, and someone must have already told him about this. Now, no one had. But I remember believing him. Now, listen, imagine this, right? You've got an 11, 12-year-old kid, no church background within the first few weeks of going to a church. One, it's a great church. People pay attention to him. They love him. They care for him. And a person in authority and of importance has taken him, in a, has taken him aside in a loving way and has said, God has got a plan for you. Man, if that's not a script for a life that thrives in God, I don't know what is. And yet, within a few years, I'd walked away. Not even that. I walked away. Why? Because no one in my family believed. Because I was only, I'd only had access to that community one day a week. Because it was near my grandparents. I only spent weekends with my grandparents. And I spent the whole week in a completely different location. And I had no one who I could talk to about this. No one who I could share this with. No one who could stoke my faith. I don't know that I ever stopped believing what that pastor had said. But it certainly didn't make a difference for many years in the choices I made. And then I reengaged with faith as a freshman in college. And what was different was that in that instance, I had people who were annoyingly present. <laughs> I think they knew that some of them knew that I had walked away. And so they were like making sure like they were like stuck to me like pasta, like overcooked pasta on a wall, man. <laughs> They were like not letting me go. <laughs> but what they did was over and over again, they stoked my faith. It was actually with that community that I first started to share more broadly. Hey, when I was a kid, someone shared a pastoral calling with me. And people started to affirm that. And my faith got stoked and I got blessed and it cultivated and maintained an atmosphere of joy in my life. So here's my question for you this morning. Who are you? Who are we cultivating atmospheres of joy with? Think of the people around you. Who have you been open enough to share 
with to share the kind of experience that you're going through with God or that you want to go through with God? Who's having the kind of experience with God that you want to have? Are you sharing with them? Who's your Elizabeth? Who's a little further along that you might benefit from spending time with? Who could stoke faith? Who could affirm reality? Who could affirm the work of God? Who could bless you? Can you identify them? What are you going to do about it this week? We need them in order to make it. Let me take it a step further. Who needs you to be an Elizabeth to them? Who's coming up? A little further behind. Who needs you to say, I know what you're going to go through next. I know what you're going through now. Let me help you. Let me cheer you on. Let me encourage you. Let me help you because I have a sense of when you're going to be tempted to veer off the path. Let me be there for you. I'm going to bring back this one again because I think it's really important. Some of us need a preamble to all this. Where do you need to till the soil? Three invitations to respond today. Find your Elizabeth. Find someone you need to be an Elizabeth to. Or start to till the soil. The end of it is all the same that you would live and cultivate and maintain an atmosphere of joy, an atmosphere that God's at work and all will be well. Would you pray with me? God, by your grace, we don't have to live this life alone. By your grace, you have put people around us who are going through what we've been through or who have gone through what we're going through or are going through or going to go through. Bring them to mind. Lord, Increase in our hearts a willingness to be vulnerable, to trust, to reach out, to ask, and to offer. Lord, my situation and our situation is different than the situation between Mary and Elizabeth, but we want that kind of fruit in our lives, that kind of Holy Spirit falling, joy overflowing experience. That sense that whether the challenge or the invitation feels difficult or easy now, we've got people around us and we can believe as we believe in you that all will be well. Lord, it's not just that we need that. It's that our world is sorely lacking in it. Start with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, In the story of Mary and Elizabeth, there's this joyous celebration of what God is doing. The Holy Spirit moves, and words of blessing are spoken. Last week here at Chatham Community, sorry, last year here. Actually, it's not last year. Early this year. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's been a long year. <laughs> Early this year, we did a series here on the Holy Spirit here at Chatham Community Church. We called it Presence, Power, and Purpose, and it was significant to many of us. And, and we're going to spend some additional time focusing on the Holy Spirit in the coming year, so I invite you to stay tuned for that. But after that series, the leaders of our church, particularly the elders, started asking this question. We started to ask, how, why, how might we be more active in affirming the work of the Holy Spirit, in partnering with the Holy Spirit? We started to ask that question. Now, in the New Testament, one of the ways in which the early church actively partnered with the Holy Spirit was through something that is identified in the New Testament as the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands and praying over a particular person was done in response 
to a clear work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. It was a way to follow what the Spirit was already doing. It was a way also for the church to bring any and all authority or influence that they might have had that God had given them to say, yes, and amen. We're asking for more of the Spirit's power, the Spirit's grace, the Spirit's love, and the Spirit's fruitfulness to be at work in this person's life. The church's laying on of hands was always meant to follow the evidence of the Spirit's work in a person's life. But it's meaningful. It's spiritual work. It's deep. Today, in many traditions, we have something called ordination. And that word is nowhere in Scripture. I just want you to know. Nowhere in Scripture is that word found. And different traditions mean different things by it. So as an elder team, we've decided to commit ourselves to being more proactive in joining the work of the Spirit by developing our own practice of ordaining people. Now, at times, ordination will bring with it new titles and new responsibilities in the church. Other times, it won't. What it will always be, it will always be our way of saying yes and amen to what God's already doing in a person's life putting whatever spiritual might, whatever spiritual weight we might have as a church body behind the Spirit's work in a person's life. So today we're kicking off this season of looking eagerly for where the Spirit is at work, and we're going to invite you to join us in it. For example, if one of you feels called to a particular mission field, we'd be glad to talk to you about what it might mean for us to ordain you towards that work, with the elders laying, hand and get, laying hands and getting fully behind you and blessing you for that. If one of you feels called to start a new nonprofit or to invest yourself in an existing nonprofit, we'd be glad to talk to you about how the church might get behind you in that work and bless you in that work. We're open to a number of ways in which the Spirit might be at work in our community. We simply want to catch what the Spirit's doing, get behind it, and say yes and amen. So we'd be glad to talk to you about it. We have some criteria to assess it, but we'd be glad to talk to you. At one point in the scripture, Paul is writing to Timothy and says that the Spirit's power came on Timothy through the laying on of hands. This isn't a magic trick, but it's also not some empty ritual. There's weight, there's gravitas, there's power in this. We're going to lay on hands and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work in people where there's already evidence of the Spirit's work happening. And friends, there's no telling what the Spirit is going to do in those moments. And we're excited for that. We're excited to see what God might do. We're going to ordain people to acknowledge a calling to join or work alongside the church in her work advancing God's kingdom. In response to God's love, grace, and truth, these women and men will communicate the gospel through word and through action. They'll be agents of our Lord. They'll serve the community in which they are set. They will partner with others in searching out the poor and the weak, the sick and the lonely, and those who are oppressed and powerless. They will reach into the forgotten corners of the world so that the love of God might be made visible. When ordained for the work of the church, they're going to share in the ministry of leading God's people. They'll seek nourishment from Scripture, letting its words transform them that they might embody God's truth in everything they set their hands to. They will long to see the whole church equipped to live out the gospel in the whole world. They are to be faithful in prayer, expectant and watchful for the signs of God's presence 
as he reveals his kingdom among us. And today, we're delighted to ordain a person in our midst who has done tremendous work to lead our community in both worship and in our larger organizational life. And that person is Michelle Stith. Michelle has demonstrated the work of the Spirit in her, in her and through her from day one of Chatham Community Church. She played a part on the launch team and she was our first worship leader. 15 years later, she's still here. She still serves in the area of worship as our Director of Creative Arts and Worship. She supervises our music ministry and our tech teams and has created an outstanding culture of humble excellence, service to one another, and always pointing all of us back to Jesus. Michelle has done fantastic work developing artists and musicians, technicians that use their God-given gifts and talents in service of the mission of the church. If you've ever had an experience with the Lord at any of our Sunday services, Michelle was the architect or supervisor of that experience. Michelle also took on the North Chatham Building Project in the summer of 2019 and steered that to completion on Christmas Eve 2021. She tirelessly worked with dozens of people within our church and partnered with organizations outside of it. She represented us and the Lord faithfully with the companies that we worked with. Michelle serves on the executive team with Alex and myself, helping us to faithfully navigate everything from the challenges of COVID to dreaming about what could be next as we continue to seek more and more ways to connect people to God and to each other and engage our world for good across Chatham County and beyond. Michelle's faithful labor in the Lord has borne tremendous fruit here at Chatham Community Church over the past 15 years, and there is no doubt that the Spirit is upon her in exceptional ways. She has attended to the work of God in Chatham. She has served faithfully. In the Bible, there's this work, there's this word, sorry, that connects those concepts, serving and attending. And that word gets translated as ministering. What's true about Michelle is that Michelle has ministered for 15 years here at Chatham Community Church. So as we, in a fresh way, were eagerly looking for ways in which the Spirit was already at work in our community for the laying on of hands, it was not hard to name Michelle as the person we wanted to start with. And so today, we will ordain Michelle Stith as a Minister of Worship and Creative Arts. So Michelle, I want to invite you and any elders that are here from Chatham Community Church to join us on stage. Uh, I believe we need the yellow mic for Michelle. Okay. <laughs> uh, Michelle, I have uh, some charges for you, and they will be uh, at the times when you are to respond. It's going to be on the stage so, and on the screen, so you know the confidence monitor. <laughs> we trust that you are fully determined by the grace of God to give yourself wholly to his service, that you may draw his people into that new life which God has prepared for those who love him. And now, in order that we may know your mind and purpose, we invite you to make the declarations we put to you. Will you commit to knowing and exalting Jesus Christ and to furthering the understanding of Christ our Savior, sanctifier, sanctifier, healer, and coming King? By the help of God, I will. Will you accept the Holy Scriptures as revealing all things necessary for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? By the help of God, I will. Will you be diligent in prayer, in reading Holy Scripture, and in all spiritual disciplines that will deepen your faith and fit you to bear witness to the truth of the gospel? 
By the help of God, I will. Do you believe the doctrine of the Christian faith as affirmed in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed? I believe it and will so do. Will you strive to make the love of Christ known through word and example and have particular care for those in need? By the help of God, I will. Will you be faithful, a faithful servant in the household of God after the example of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve? By the help of God, I will. Will you endeavor to fashion your own life and that of your household according to the way of Christ that you may be a pattern and example to Christ's people? By the help of God, I will. Will you work with your fellow servants in the gospel for the sake of the kingdom of God? By the help of God, I will. Will you accept the discipline of the church and give due respect to those in authority? By the help of God, I will. Will you then, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, continually stir up the gift of God that is in you to grow in holiness and grace? By the help of God, I will. Congregation, we have an invitation for you as well, so would you stand? You have heard how great is the charge that Michelle is ready to undertake, and you have heard her declarations. Will you now join us in affirming the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, her life and her commitment to serving the Lord? Will. will you continually pray for her? Will. will you uphold and encourage her in her ministry? Will. You can have a seat. In the name of, the, of our Lord, we bid you remember the greatness of the trust in which you are now to share the ministry of Christ himself, who for our sake took the form of a sermon, of servant. Remember always with thanksgiving <clears throat> that the people among whom you will minister are made in God's image and likeness. In serving them, you are serving Christ himself before whom you will be called to account. Now you can't bear the weight of this calling in your own strength but only by the grace and power of God. So we want to pray for you, therefore, that your heart may be enlarged and your understanding of the scriptures enlightened. Let us pray earnestly for the gift of the Spirit. I want to invite any people in our community who are ordained. You don't have to have been ordained in our church, but if you've been ordained by a church community, uh, I want to invite you to join us on stage and join us in laying hands on Michelle. Uh, and I've asked Chris to lead us in prayer, and then I will close us in prayer after. Father, we, we thank you so much for Michelle. And we are so grateful for the gifts that you have given her and how we've seen those gifts worked out through Chatham Community Church. Lord, we, we pray today that uh, you continue to work in her and through her, to develop those gifts that you've given her. And Lord, uh, continue to remind her how grateful we are of her and how grateful you are of her. And so Lord, we're, we're just so thankful. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that uh, you continue to move through her and through all of us here at the church. Uh, reveal yourself to us. You have at many times, Michelle, expressed the work of God. You've expressed things that God is doing or God wants our community to hear. I remember in the building project very clearly when you brought the word that said the battle belonged to the Lord. And, and that was a word for you, but it was a word for us as well. 
I remember it spoke to my soul. I embraced it because it was clear that God was saying something to our community, and he used you to say it. So I pray for more of that, for more of that, that not just through your words, but through the way you design, uh, help design our sets, the way you help us think about uh, sermon series, the way you create atmospheres and environments uh, where people can encounter God that you would continue to be someone who ushers in the word of God for our community in ways that people can see, hear, and experience. And you'd be filled to all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name. <laughs>